Well, happy Monday. I'm sorry I missed sermon scraps. Last week, uh, I just ran out of time and I uh, heard about it from someone that uh, John Nystuen was complaining he had nothing else to talk about. So John, this is just for you this week. Um, this past week, we, we dug into or continued uh, Mark chapter three, looking at a few different things. But at first, I want to talk about a couple things from last week's text. So last week's text was Mark 3, 7 to 19. If you haven't had a chance to watch the sermon, you can go back and do that. Oh, I almost forgot. Um, I got the sweet new swag from Kristen DePaolo, who went to in and out in California and thankfully did not send me any pictures of... Uh, any of the delicious double double animal styles with animal style fries which i appreciate instead she got me a shirt that i thought i would wear today to rep the greatest burger that you can have in the country so uh getting back to last week's text uh, one of the things i just wanted to talk about is uh the apostle piece because there are some uh, groups today that that are trying to make the argument that that office of apostle has continued down to today um and so i wanted to read i've, I've mentioned this before wayne grudem's systematic theology is something that's worth having on the shelf like as you can see not a light easy breezy book but something worth having so you can refer to in the back um he has just a dictionary of some terms so if you go to that book and look up the word apostle what you read is a recognized office of the early church Apostles are in several ways the New Testament counterpart to the Old Testament prophet, and as such had the authority to write words of Scripture. According to that definition, no one is an apostle today. Because no one today is going to write scripture. The canon of scripture is completely closed. We're not going to find any new books that contribute to it. We're not going to add any new books to it. We have it sufficient and complete. Now, um, part of the, the prerequisite for an apostle is someone who has seen the risen Christ. So you have a place like 1 Corinthians 15 that talks about this. So uh, Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ. And then he says, last of all, as well, I'll start in verse 7. He appeared to James and to all the apostles. This is referring to Jesus. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me for i am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god but by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace toward me was not in vain um so paul is is here talking about he is similar to all these other apostles who got to witness the risen christ and then write uh, accounts about that uh, as god's very word paul was one of them so we do not believe that that uh, office of apostle continues down to today that's different from the office of uh, elder or deacon but this is not an ecclesiology passage so we'll get to some of those later the other thing i want to ask from last week's text is the way jesus uh, describes or defines the ministry of those early disciples and apostles is uh, as i said last week threefold to be with him so time with jesus uh, sent from jesus so a commissioning from him and then going to preach uh, and have authority over demons. Uh, this preaching piece is something that all of us are called to do. Now, it's different than the preaching that, that uh, is done on Sunday mornings when we gather together, but we need to ensure that in, in our daily lives, we are going out and preaching on a regular basis. So the question for us is, do you look for opportunities to share the truth in season and out of season? Now, I just I listened to uh, a podcast on this idea this past week uh, that, that was just from a, a couple people who were talking about what does it mean and look like to be a Christian in the workplace today? And there's there's some um, tricky or, or challenging situations that we as, as believers are walking into today. Um, now, that doesn't mean that we should just be jerks and, and try to like... Um, force feed people the truths of the gospel I, mean, I think being a christian actually would compel us to to be uh, the best workers in the office to stay late to work hard uh, to the best of our ability but not at the expense of of our primary ministry which is to our family um i, I will uh, link to the podcast on, on here i just i think it would, it would be worthwhile for those of you who, who um 
are working in in uh, secular environments and and I, I don't take for granted what I get to do but I don't uh, at the same time have the opportunity to have some of the conversations or, or influence or outreach that many of you do uh, in your regular Monday to Friday jobs now I'm not saying this stuff is easy and we'll look at some of these ideas uh, further on down here but I think it is on us to be thinking intentionally carefully and strategically about uh, how our witness is doing and 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 providing us opportunities to preach on a regular basis um, this week's text, going on to verse 20 to 35, um, one of the, the difficult things in this text is, is if you like separate the two sections on Jesus' family, so the beginning, verses 20 and 21, is like an introduction, and then Mark goes on to talk about the, the accusations of the scribes, and then comes back to finish the story on the family. If you just look at, at the story in verses 31 to 35, Jesus looks kind of like a jerk, uh, like just ignoring his family for the expense of, of the ministry that he's doing. Like it's almost like I, I uh, with what I talked about yesterday, it almost can, can feel like Jesus is trying to build his platform. Um, but I think it's it's more significant than that because family is, is really important and it's something that Jesus is trying to um, refine and refocus in his ministry. Um, and part of part of what this reminds us is is I know people whose faith uh, pursuing Christ pursuing being like Jesus has strained their relationship with their family. Uh, that's not true for everyone, but that is true for some. And and the reality is family relationships are hard. Uh, so is the church family. The church family is a difficult relationship at times to be in, but we need to push into that because that's what God has called us to be. I talked to someone yesterday after after church who said that they're so glad that they can have the church to walk through the issues that they're going through in their lives instead of as our world today does it is instead of being canceled or or in a church context being excommunicated or shunned or or like cast off to the side and some of this connects to we as the church need to be willing to engage and talk about any and every issue that that is coming our way because uh, if we don't talk about it in the church and we're going to hear it from other places and the and the solutions or answers that we're going to be getting are going to be worldly standards and instead of biblical Christian standards that, that Jesus has actually called us to do and be. Now, I uh, mentioned yesterday as well that uh, like what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing out the terrible logic that these people are, are that the scribes are using in their accusations against Jesus. And, and uh, the idea of using terrible logic as arguments against Christianity is, is uh, something that, that has happened even down to today. So I came up with one, two, four. Uh, four things that, that I just off the top of my mind was thinking through and no one emailed me. So if you have other ones, feel free to email me and then I, maybe I can talk about some of them next week. Um, so four that, that, uh, I just will mention quickly and then we'll walk through them. One is, uh, about the crusades. So Christians are terrible because of the crusades. Second is related to that, but the, the, uh, Christians are just a bunch of colonizers trying to enforce Western ideals onto the rest of the world. Third, all Christians want to do is vote for their beliefs. And this is, I think, intimately connected to the accusation that we are just bigots. And the fourth is, uh, Christians only pick and choose the parts of the Bible that they want to believe and are inconsistent with the way they interpret and apply the passages of the book that they claim to hold in highest authority. All right, let's walk through them. Because again, nothing is off limits. So the first one, but the Crusades. I actually had a gotten to a fairly heated debate at a meeting I went to one time with someone on this very issue. Um, so this is one that I've become pretty passionate about since I went to seminary because I read a little book called The Concise History of the Crusades by Thomas Madden. Um, this is fascinating because so much of what we've heard about the Crusades is viewed from a non-realistic, non-historical perspective. Um, so some of what, what happened in the Crusades is... is the um, increasing influence of Muslims were starting to force their way and or push their way into the Middle East. 
At some point, they eventually came into and captured Jerusalem. In response to the invading conquest of the Muslims, Christians in, in Europe responded, saying, we need to, to go back and reclaim the Holy Land, the center of where Christianity was founded and began. Um, so the origination of the Crusades was a response to Muslim, Muslim essentially, inquisition um, and, and trying to push and, and, and fight against uh, the Christian belief. Because one of the difficulties about uh, differences between Muslims and Christians is Muslims have a whole cultural way of, of living, where essentially their, their uh, philosophy at, at their origination was surround uh, an area, force people to convert, otherwise they would destroy them. So, I mean, this is just the historical data. So then Christians are responding to what is, is uh, uh, over-aggression from Muslims. Now, we need to understand this, this was a different cultural context and time. So, I mean, this is the 1,000, this is a thousand, over a thousand years ago at this point. So it's not like this is taking place yesterday where you have UN, where you have a, a social media that you can see what's going on in Ukraine and uh, in, in, in Russia. Like this, this is a very, very long time ago. Um, and, and so the first part is, is Muslims were the instigators of the Crusades. Now, some of the things that happened on the Crusades were atrocious, and we should admit and acknowledge that. Um, like Christians, so-called Christians, were not actually act, acting like Christians. And some of what went on, to the, on during the Crusades is what eventually led to the, the split in the Reformation, leading to the, the founding of the Protestant Church, of which we are a part of today. Um, so that's a rough summary and overview. If you're very actually interested in, in learning more about this, I would highly recommend The Concise History of the Crusades by Thomas Madden. It will completely change your perspective on uh, the way we, we think through and engage the Crusades. Oh, one other piece about that. Um, it, the idea of the Crusades was essentially a lot from history until like the 1800s like no one no one cared or thought about it because war was a was a common thing that was taking place at the time between different religious groups uh, ethnic groups ideologies all those pieces so it wasn't a big deal until the 1800s where uh like as, as western enlightenment was starting to take place the muslims brought that back up as an argument against christianity so then a lot of other people started going yeah christians are a bunch of of uh bigots who are trying to, to defeat through every every uh, possible way they can do it and and then uh that just i history or ideology has continued down to today. So we need to go back to the sources and see what history actually says about that. The second one is that Christians are just a bunch of colonizers. And I think this one is actually connected to the Crusades idea, but that is just categorically false. If you actually look at the data that has come out about what uh, Western missionaries did. Now, again, there, there are um, there are stories and situations in which Christian missionaries just went with, with a Western ideology, instead of actually living out and implementing the faith that of, of Jesus Christ that is once for all delivered to all the saints throughout all of human history. Um, but that does not mean that that, that Christian influence or, or uh, Western influence has been a bunch of colonizers. Now, there's actually a sociological survey done by a guy named Robert Woodbury that was published in 2012. And it, it, uh, Christianity Today actually published an article to that that I will link to in this uh, the, the email that I send out with this. But his summary of, of his entire, like he did, he did all tons and tons and tons of, of data trying to dig into uh, what is it, what was the, the lasting influence of all these Protestant missionaries. And here's a summary. He said, areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. In short, Summary, do you want a blossoming democracy today? The solution is simple. If you have a time machine, send a 19th century missionary. Now, uh, another book that actually gets to this idea is uh, Dominion by Tom Holland. It says, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. Um, I've mentioned this one before. Again, not, not a short one. Tom Holland is actually an atheist. 
And he says, we would have no of the Western ideas or government or structures behind them if we did not have Christianity that led to the way. Now, what, what uh, the West has, has in many cases tried to do is, is um, unhinge or separate that Christian foundation from a lot of the Christian ethics and virtues that come out of that Christian foundation. And we're finding that it is a, a, a sinking, a, you're building the house on the sinking sand. Because there's no solid foundation to build on, you have no argument or direction for a lot of the morality that, that, that people are trying to continue holding on to from Christianity, but they're separating or divorcing it from the Christian faith. Now, what's, what's ironic about th this accusation that we're a bunch of colonizers is the way unbelievers today are attempting to colonize other parts of the world with a lot of the progressive agendas that we're seeing in our world today. There's an issue recently um, where uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, went and visited Japan and then chastised them for their lack of, of compassion and concern for the LGBTQ plus agenda. Um, Different culture, different time, different situation that they're going on. Why is it okay for us to chastise them for some of their understanding or ideologies? You're seeing this take place right now with, with the uh, um, Anglican Church, where the Anglican Church of, of Ghana, I believe, uh, has just written a letter to the Archbishop of Canterbury, who is like the head of, of the Anglican uh, Communion, and, and said that they are disfellowshipping from that 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 connection because the, the church in England is trying to force their ideologies onto the churches in in Africa. So who's actually doing colonizing here? I will leave that question for you to think and work through. The third one is that Christians just want to vote their beliefs and uh, connected to that is we are just a bunch of bigots. Um, the accusation that you just want to vote your beliefs is literally what everyone does. Like, so if, if you just want to think through what you're voting for is you're voting for what you believe will lead to the most human flourishing. The tension is, and I stole this description from someone else that I think is true. Many people who are not Christians have brought little g gods with them into their politics. While those who believe in the one true God, they, they've attempted to just banish him or dismiss him from anything that has to do with, with political ideas. Now, this is connected to bigots as well, because we, we are bigots for, for wanting to enforce the things that we believe on other people. The difficulty or tension with this is, is every law that is made is some kind of statement of morality. So even something as simple as don't drink and drive is a moral statement. We are casting judgment on someone who would want to drink to the point of inebriation and then go drive afterwards. We, we've seen the way that that leads to negative uh, impacts and influences on our lives. And, and even like now that I'm a dad, I'm trying to raise my kids morally. Every statement or, or law that is passed, everything that we pursue leads to some kind of moral statement, which is is what First uh, Peter actually describes the summary of um laws to do. I think it's First Peter 2, 14, punish the good and reward the bad. That's what the government is, is, is looking to do. How do we define good and bad? That's what we need to be willing to engage in. And everyone has their definition of what's good and what's bad. So everyone votes for their beliefs. The fourth and final one, um, and this is one that uh, comes up from time to time on a regular basis, like people will, will, will oops, sorry, Siri, um, will point out things in, in the past where, or things in scripture uh, that we don't follow today. So like one of the ones is, is don't trim your beard. I'm doing great with that this week. Um, some of them is like, don't wear mixed, mixed, uh, uh, threads of clothing that, that some of those laws that we see in the old Testament. Um, and the best response to this I've ever read or found is an article from, from, uh, Tim Keller, which I will again, link to in the email that I'm sending out. Uh, but here's how Tim Keller summarizes at the very end of his article, a way to a helpful way to respond to this argument. He says one way to respond to the charge of inconsistency, maybe to ask a counter question. That is, are you asking me to deny the very heart of my Christian beliefs? 
If you are asked, why do you say that? You could respond. If I, fo- if I believe Jesus is the resurrected son of God, I can't follow all of the clean laws of diet and practice, and I can't offer animal sacrifices. All that would be to deny the power of Christ's death on the cross. And so those who really believe in Christ must follow some Old Testament texts and not others. That's what we are called and commanded to do, is, is we see the pattern for this in the New Testament, where th- you think of the sheet coming down from heaven with all these animals that Jews, good Jews, were not supposed to eat. And Jesus te- or God tells him, don't call anything that I have made uh, unclean. And so Peter understands or, or learns that there's new ways of approaching the Old Testament laws and, and, and civil and ceremonial laws that, that were taking place. So all this to say... Um, there are still, on a regular basis, terrible arguments being made against Christianity that as you just like think through or, or work through a little bit or you even use like sociological data and arguments to, to, to demonstrate how these accusations are categorically false are, are important for us to at least be aware of. And if you don't have the answers to them, that's fine. Like that's part of the reason that we have a church body and a church family. Let's let's talk together about some of the things that you are hearing or, or being accused of or, or learning about in the world around you. Let's engage these issues and not be afraid to to, uh, dig into what God has actually demonstrated and revealed himself to us through both the world and through his word. Now, we understand that that the word is the highest authority, so we bring everything back to that, uh, but the word isn't the only authority. Now, when we talk about the souls of the Reformation, we have sola scriptura, God's word alone, uh, but but it's not God's word, it's not solo scriptura as the only source of authority. So anyway, I, I hope that is helpful for you just to, to get you thinking about how do we engage uh, helpfully and carefully in some of the conversations that are taking place around us. I pray for us regularly that we are faithful in equipping others and evangelizing others and sharing the good news of what Jesus has done on a regular basis and so that everything we do can help people encourage them to take one step closer to Christ. We will be continuing our series in Mark this next Sunday. Uh, if you haven't gotten one of these Easter invites yet, I'd encourage you to grab one. Um, I got coffee together with someone recently who said that they came here because they ran into someone who gave them one of these invitations and then showed up and, and have been coming ever since, which is a, a really cool testimony of the way we can use simple little invite cards. So on the back, we're going to be doing something new this year. We're going to have a Palm Sunday service, which is not new, uh, but we're going to be trying a Monday Thursday service, which is just an opportunity. It's like a family, another family uh, meal get together, which is a fun time for us to kind of think through some of, of what Jesus and his uh, disciples would have been doing the night when he was betrayed, what, what the Passover meal would have signified and looked like. We'll be doing a Good Friday service like we normally have, and then we'll have Easter uh, morning service as well. So if you have any questions or would like to dig into any of these topics anymore, feel free to reach out to me. And otherwise, Lord willing, we will see you next Sunday morning.